welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. 100 episodes, I can't really believe it. I've been thinking for a few weeks, probably longer than that, of a way to mark this milestone of 100 episodes. And I had a few ideas. I was going to get my wife on to do another episode. I thought about maybe doing a solo episode or a Q&A or something like that. And nothing really felt like the right thing to do. Nothing felt like a good fit. In fact, a lot of the ideas I had kind of felt like a a bit of like a weird ego flex, you know. And I've always said that this podcast is not about me. It's not really about the guests. It's about the people listening. And whenever I book a guest or contact a guest or think about like committing my time to anything, I'm always thinking, what value does this offer the people that listen to this podcast? How does this help them? How does this entertain them? How does this inform them? How does this make them feel? And all these ideas just kind of felt a bit empty, to be honest. And what I came to realise was that I can be really, really proud of doing 100 episodes without marking it or celebrating it in any way at all. That doesn't change how I feel about the work that I've put into this. And for a podcast that often talks about authenticity and learning to validate yourself and not needing the approval of others, I thought it made much more sense to just validate myself and feel proud of my achievement but just carry on doing all the things that got me to 100 episodes and that's to put out the next episode of the proper mental podcast and that's it so that's exactly what I've done I would like to say a huge thank you to everyone who supports the podcast everyone who's been on everyone who listens everyone who likes shares and spread the word it really is appreciated there's going to be loads more I'm sure there'll be more milestones further down the road for us to celebrate together but for now This is episode 100 of the Proper Mental Podcast, and my guest this week is Rosie Tressler OBE. Rosie is the CEO of Student Minds, which is a student mental health charity that is working to empower members of the university community to look after their own mental health, to support others, and to create change. And Rosie has worked in several different aspects of the charity sector. She's done all sorts of campaigning and volunteering and fundraising, and in 2019 she was awarded an OBE for services to mental health in higher education. And for this episode, I chat to Rosie about Student Minds, about the work that they do, the support that they offer, and the sort of things that the student community struggle with, with regards to mental health, and why there is a need for Student Minds to exist. We also chat a bit about Rosie's background, and how she got into campaigning, and all the other things that she's done. And we talk about the importance of collaboration, and the need to speak to as many different people as possible, and and working together for getting organisations and charities and people to all work together to spread awareness and really make some long-term meaningful policy change. You know, the bigger picture stuff, the smaller picture stuff. And it was fascinating, really. Rosie's done so much over the years, and I found it really inspiring to hear about that work and hear how Student Minds has grown and evolved and changed and some of her ideas around what needs to continue to grow and evolve and change. And uh, both Rosie and I say at the end of the episode that we came away feeling really like empowered and inspired and 
Um, yeah, it was just really cool. It was a really lovely episode. I hope you enjoy it. I've put links to the Student Minds website in the episode notes. And from there, you can get onto everything they do. You can catch them on social media at studentminds.org. And if you want to follow Rosie on Twitter, it is at Rosie Tressler. All my stuff, all the podcast stuff is in the episode notes as well. Feel free to connect with me on social media. Feel free to get in touch with me via the website. And feel free to leave me a review, particularly if you're listening on iTunes. Two of the targets I set myself when I started this podcast was to get 100 episodes and to get 50 reviews. So I need four more reviews. So if you want to do me a solid, it would be very, very much appreciated. Other than that, we're ready to go. Let's get into it. This is episode 100 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Rosie Tressler OBE. Thank you very, very, very much for listening. I hope you enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, and I'm joined today by Rosie Tressler. How are you, mate? I'm doing well, thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me on. I um, think it's amazing what you're doing with podcast and you know getting more awareness, more understanding about mental health. So thank you for having me. Oh, mate, thank you very much for joining me. I was um, I was, I, I'm still amazed really that anyone listens and that anyone wants to come on. So I'm always very grateful for anyone's uh, for anyone's time. So I really, really appreciate it. Um, I'm sure today we're going to kind of, um, you know, dig into what student minds are all about and what you guys are, are doing there. But I thought maybe to kick us off, do you have a like a regular sort of soundbite or overview when someone says to you, oh, student minds, what's that? You know, do you have a, a paragraph to kind of sum it, sum up what you guys do? Yeah, no, no pressure. This is where our comms manager will tell me off. But um, yeah, absolutely. So Student Minds is the UK student mental health charity. So everything we're doing is trying to create environments in which every student can really thrive. Um, so uh, we've got work that is all about um, helping students look after their own mental health, to look out for their friends, for them to create change also then to work with members of the university community you know your academics your pastoral staff your accommodation staff all those people who have a role in creating that community helping them to think about what their role is and improve really the approach that universities themselves take on mental health as well so that's probably not the you know sherry 30 second but gives you a sense of everything we're trying to do yeah, very much so. Yeah. And it's like this idea of uh, collaboration and speaking to all the different areas. I think that's just so, so important. And probably, um, you know, even just mentioning, you know, like accommodation and the student unions and things like that. I think people might not even assume that they would have a part to play in in the welfare of students in the mental health um, part of it. And if and maybe even the people involved in those things might not even think of it from a mental health perspective. So kind of to have someone in the middle to tie it all, all together, that seems really important. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when we started as a charity, it grew out of student-led activism. It was students themselves coming together and wanting to talk about their experiences and think about how do we do this in a supportive way, in a way that um, is helpful. um, And then also students who wanted to challenge their institutions as well to do better on student mental health. So that's where it started, was very much on students themselves. Um, but we've been really lucky as we've grown over the last decade to be bringing in professionals of all different types of experience who 
share that goal and that vision for the fact that universities can and should and absolutely will be places that are positive for everybody's well-being like that is something we can get to we're not there yet but that you know keep holding that vision of what it could be um and the role that every single person can play in that has been very motivating and has been something we just we keep coming back to um every year that we're reviewing how are we getting on with this yeah 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 that's really cool you know asking um you know for the student involvement in you know looking after student mental health that's just so important and i think sometimes that can be missed in the mental health conversation is we we don't just ask the people that it's directly affecting. I think particularly with younger people, you know, I think when, um, you know, older people make decisions about younger people's mental health, well, that's the quickest way to get younger people to disengage from the conversation, right? If you feel like people who are out of touch with what it is to be you and your experience. So the idea of having the students to sort of have their say in what they need, um, that's often missed, isn't it? In um, You know, it can be to some extent in the, the broader mental health conversation, I think. Yeah, completely. I think, and I think that's the same throughout a lot of mental health, um, a lot of the history, you know, without, without going down a history lesson, although I'd love that. Um, I think the, you know, we look at how people have been treated throughout history. There has been, you know, unfortunately some really dark and difficult parts of how people responded to mental health and wellbeing. And, you know, now that that ethos of, co-production co-design participation that they are you know if you're not doing that now as an organization it's really noted and um you know I did find it really interesting when we first started you know I think because a lot of the charity grew out of people coming together and sharing their own experiences it's just a no-brainer that that's where you're going to start you know you're going to start by listening um but I think yeah and in a lot of areas it's taken a bit of time to understand that that will actually lead to better outcomes um and that's the stuff that I find most exciting in in working in this in this charity you know as, as much as there are difficult periods and difficult days when you when you get the opportunity to sit in a room with a group of people and you've got students you've got different professionals you've got um all those different voices really focus together on problem solving and on coming up with a better way to do things um that is you know really uplifting and yeah gives you a lot of hope that 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 we can make things better definitely yeah very much so it sounds very hopeful it sounds very empowering you know just like being able to kind of yeah like collaborate and discuss and get into it and come up with something that, that's fit for purpose essentially right that's gonna gonna help people but what was your um what was your route into the charity sector Rosie were you a student yourself um yeah I was um I was a student um at the University of Nottingham um a little while ago now um and I think you know I felt like I was really fortunate like I had a really positive experience at uni um but I really recognize that that was because I had I was lucky enough to have a good support network around me. I was lucky enough to not have to worry seriously about financial pressures. Um, if I ever needed to make a trip back to see family or friends, like it was possible for me to do that, you know. So all the things at the time, which I kind of probably took for granted as a student, I thought, you know, there were certainly some ups and downs, but I generally felt 
you know, this is okay, I can get through this. Yes, there were periods where I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this part of my course and that kind of thing. But I was very fortunate. And I think, um, yeah, I guess I really recognised the privilege there because working with students now, I see how complex students' lives are. Um, well, I'm sure we'll get into that on this podcast, but um, I guess my way into it was through having had, you know, those positive experiences being very involved in, in the Students' Union and um, getting the opportunity to work with students who are having such a range of experiences. So one of the things that was really impactful for me was working with a group of students who were experiencing challenges in their mental health and thinking about what setting up some kind of forum or group um, to give space to those experiences would look like and how to do that well and working with staff in the in the university and student union and thinking through how that could work um, but also other areas as well like um, uh, just looking to other students on uh, an interfaith forum and thinking about what are some of the different barriers that students from different faiths were experiencing in, in university as well so yeah, basically, because I had the, the joy and the privilege of being a student junior officer for a year, got to meet a lot of different students, and I, I really just wanted to then stay working in that area. And I was lucky enough to join a charity that was getting started to focus more nationally on how do you work with students on influencing change in mental health. Um, and, you know, the, the trustees at the time gave me also an opportunity. And I think it's important for me to share that because I don't, I don't think I have had a typical route in the charity sector. I think, you know, I, I kind of joined a charity at the right time as it was starting up. And then I've been lucky enough to have people around me who've encouraged me to keep pushing myself and try different roles. Um, so my first proper job at Student Minds after, after a few projects merged um, was as a campaigns manager so I very much still feel I've got that campaigner mentality and I really hope I never lose that um, I can see how you can you know the more you are working in other areas as well of, a, of a, an organization but um, always being brought back to are we truly creating positive change um, and then I, I had the opportunity to, you know, try lots of different roles and, you know, work in training development, do more in fundraising, um, be involved in service development and design. Um, and again, having the opportunity then, because we were at a period of growth as a charity in becoming the chief exec. And that's I share it because I, it's not a typical route. Um, and I see it as my, because it isn't, I see it as, part of my role as a social leader now to really look at how do we dismantle the barriers that stop a lot of young people and particularly young people from um, underrepresented and in particular racialized and minoritized backgrounds to have a real space and opportunity to lead in our sector. Um, and yeah, that, so anyway, that was a very long answer, but I suppose I kind of, I kind of feel like I, I followed I followed what I cared about and the more I stayed in that area the more it felt kind of relevant as well you know I've personally had support for my own mental health as well throughout my career um and I I recognize I've seen you know like every every family has their own stories histories um and yeah just being in this this sector you get to work across health higher education 
education, youth, the youth sort of engagement space, politics. And it's an amazing opportunity to learn. And that, that's probably the, the real answer as to why do, why do you keep working in something is if you feel like you're still able to have a positive impact and you still feel like you're learning and growing and, yeah, all of that. Yeah, yeah. It must be, like, quite a weird thing because, obviously, like, as the charity gets bigger and there's more stuff for, for you to do and more things for you all to be involved in, there's obviously that's happening because there's a need. But at the same time, the bigger a charity goes, then the more outside influence you have to think about right so whether it's like political aspects or things that going on so I suppose it's like yeah you can see this need for growth for this need to get bigger but at the same time the bigger things get then the more red tape and challenges that have to be kind of like thought about and and taken into account so it must be quite sounds like there's a lot of um complexity behind the scenes you know and uh, I think what well, quite often from the outside we see these charities and they go oh, look at this amazing thing we're doing and it kind of looks like someone just like started a Facebook group and it blew up you know and that's yeah. <laughs> but there's often there's a lot more to think about behind the scenes right there's a lot more um, a lot more going on to make this stuff happen yeah absolutely and and yeah actually about that I suppose I I recognize every year I've worked at Student Minds the charity has felt really different. And I think anyone who's worked really closely with us would, would see that too. You know, I, I remember what it was like, and it was great you know, when, when, when I joined and the opportunity was like, you know, a handful of us working out of this little, little cupboard room. <laughs> um, and that has its own challenges and opportunities. And then now, you know, we're a team, you know, in, into our mid uh, so about 25 to 30 you know we're, we're recruiting for some roles at the moment um and we've got we're lucky we've got hundreds of staff in higher education who've trained with us and our pro so yeah every year it's felt different every you know but every every time we've come to look at our strategy you have to ask yourself the question do we need to grow because actually given the scale of the issue it kind of demands it and um yeah that is it, it means you learn you're learning a lot as you go about how to do that in a way that feels sustainable and also keeps the ethos of the organization and what what was at your core when you started um not losing that yeah, yeah. sure have you seen a lot of changes over the over the years rosie to like the the overall conversation around mental health because obviously like we're everyone's talking about it you know, so much more these days. I think that was weirdly a plus point of the pandemic that it kind of like, it did help raise awareness levels of mental health, you know? Um, but just because we're all talking about it, sometimes that all that means is just we're all talking about it, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that anything's particularly particularly changing, but have you seen a lot over the years how people, you know, are more maybe open, open-minded towards the fact that some people actually are struggling, that this is a real thing, you know? Have you, have you seen that awareness change and grow? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, and I'm very aware that there are activists who've worked in this field for decades, right? Um, we we were lucky, actually, we had a, I keep saying lucky a lot today, don't I? Um, I it's clearly a sign of uh, being in a grateful mindset right yeah, now. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, but uh, we've got, we, were, we had an amazing historian um, from Swansea um, come in and do a session with our team recently about the history of student mental health activism Sarah I'll have to link to her Twitter um and it really it really spoke to our team because it was seeing you know there were students in the 50s 60s 70s saying really important things here 
sometimes and frustratingly quite similar conversations as well. And um, so I'm always very conscious when I talk about what advice in the last decade, there are, you know, there's a whole lot of people you've got to pay your respect to have really moved things forwards. But certainly in, in the time that we've all been working in this area, um, I, I think there was that that feeling of you you were knocking on doors and we worked with you know a few organizations like UMAN the University Mental Health Advisors Network on uh, initiatives like University Mental Health Day and when we started that it still felt like quite a big deal to do you know to have a mental health day and um trying to convince all universities that they should be participating in that and that the, the benefits outweighed the risks and there was ways to instigate conversations about mental health that were were reasonable and supportive and not going to be triggering and you know all of these things um and you know but it's it's steadily grown and then we hit we probably hit a point about maybe it's like five or six years ago when we were like well you know everyone's participating this day now and then you start to have the feeling of people who've been in that space for a while of going we're really going to do this day again because we've you know we're all there now we're all talking about this it's not about that it's about actually sustainable long-term culture change it's about seeing really big changes from governments that are going to prevent some of these issues that are driving distress earlier on you know like discrimination like poverty and financial difficulties um you know all, all these there's so many things we could talk about as, as drivers there but um i think what I'm always reminded of is that you're working in a space that is always changing and there's always new people coming into it. And that's what you have to hold, I think. If you're a leader in, a, in an organization, in an institution, you have to remember that everybody's going on different journeys and experiences at different times. So you might think, we've done this issue, we've done this thing. And then it's like, yeah, but have we? Because actually since we the last time we did that, we've had loads more people join this community. We've got a whole new cohort of young people. We've got those new staff who've joined us from different areas in, in the UK or internationally. And so I, I don't think the work to raise literacy, awareness, understanding is ever done. I think it's I think it's constant. And I say that as someone who has really struggled with it and, and is pulled much more towards real meaningful policy change um but I have to like take my hat off to people who work in health promotion and public health all the time because you have to have quite a lot of resilience to be like no actually maybe yeah maybe we did have a conversation five years ago on men's mental health but you know what let's look at our data and let's look at our usage of our service and we're still not there we haven't fully dismantled that stigma so we have to be prepared to go there again and do the next event. And, and you have to recognize, if you're someone who's driving that way, I think you have to recognize when have you run out of your own new energy? And I think that's something you're doing actually with this podcast as well, Tom, is you're trying to always find like new voices and experiences to share that, yeah, means that every, every anyone, wherever you're at, if you're someone who's for the first time thinking, I'm not feeling great and I need to find a way to understand that, or if you're someone who's been managing a mental health condition for decades and maybe, you know, 
we're living in complex times maybe some things right now are making the world feel a bit harder and you want to reconnect again with some kind of support or some of the people who are also thinking about these issues um you know we have to speak to all those people wherever they're at and I think it's worth doing for everybody I think it's you know it's 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 hard consistent work that will get the culture shift in the long run yeah, it's it's just the the beauty. You kind of touched on it when we were talking a little bit earlier about like the, the power, the importance of listening, listening to other people, listening about other experiences. And so, you know, something I've found so many times, I've kind of like spoke to a, a few guests in a row and they've all had, you know, similar ideas and a different way of looking out to me. And I was like, that's it. That's the answer. Like I've cracked it. That's what I think. And then I'll speak to someone else and they kind of have a different way of looking at it. And you think, oh my gosh, now, yeah, that's kind of like, you know, there's so many, um, there'll always be a different way of looking at it. There'll always be a different angle. There's always been, and I think that's the the importance yeah. of having so many different voices because everyone's got something relevant to say, you know, yeah. and you can kind of take, you know, take what you need from it, right? Take the take the bits that are applicable to you and, um, you know, and then some of the other bits will be applicable to other people. And, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a nice way to work, I think. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and you really explain how this is challenging because I've just said everything I've said to you, and at the same time, there's a part of my brain going, you know, we are uh, as in trying to be as much as we always can be, you know, because evidence is always evolving, but we're always trying to be an evidence-based organization. So, you know, we do know there are some things that work better than others, you know. And so, but I think, I think where sometimes you can get things wrong is if you rush into judge what different organizations are doing and I would have made that mistake earlier on in my career you know you see something you say well I wonder why they're doing that I mean that's not really gonna do and then you have you maybe doesn't haven't actually understood that what their theory of change is you maybe don't understand yeah where the insights come from um you know we have we have to demand I think of all organizations working in this area that we're evaluating everything we do we're sharing the learning we're being honest about what hasn't worked and we're not wasting resource, like we can't afford to be throwing ever money down the drain. Um, but I think, you know, there's a lot of talk in to have about non, being non-judgmental, you know, always be, you know, non-judgmental listening. And, so, and I think we have to just remember to apply that a bit always between teams and organisations as well. Um, and yeah, be and, and support each other compassionately if we think, you know what that activity you're doing over there maybe actually that's not going to get the result that you want there's a way to go about approaching that that isn't just shutting people down in a really cold way um and yeah. I, I guess yeah maybe that's a bit again I'm saying it as a bit of a symptom of how a lot of dialogue feels these days online and on social media um and we have to be able to hold lots of ideas at once and um know that there's not not the one way that we might have been trained to see the world is the only way to see it um so that's probably why you've got quite a long woolly ish kind of answer from me really <laughs> yeah that's it yeah yeah I think I always kind of think when like when things are like complex and there's you know more than one side to every story the answer normally kind of 
you know, ends up residing in the sort of blurred space in the middle. That tends to be, uh, you know, that tends to be where it, where it goes. But, you know, in this like social media driven world, you know, it can be easier, can it, to forget that we are talking in sound bites. We're talking in limited characters. Twitter doesn't leave much space for nuance, you know? So it's like, yeah, there's, there's some of the ways, some, some of the, maybe the mediums we use to communicate about these things are maybe not the best for the the bigger topics, but that's probably a whole different rabbit hole to, uh, <laughs> to go down there, mate. And um, one thing I was keen to ask you about is um, with the sort of the student population itself, what are some of the, the, the key things to bear in mind that are really going to affect um, student mental health? Because I kind of, obviously that's a massive question we're going to be generalizing to some extent there but um i was kind of looking at it the more i've thought about it building up to this conversation there's a lot of aspects of um student life that could impact people's like well-being if uh if you know if they go unchecked or if they're not realized or whatever but then also if people are already dealing with an existing um condition knowingly or not knowingly then big change and moving into a new life is going to have a an effect there's i could kind of think there's almost two ways of, of, of looking at it. I know it's a very big question. I've just dropped on your lap there, Rosie. No, but, uh... it's, it, no, thank you for asking it, because I still think there is a long way to go before everyone in society really, um, really understands what that experience is like, because we're not, we're not all exposed to it. Right. And I think there is still a bit of a stereotype that's, that's in people's minds about they, they hear student, you maybe think, or you think about a student that was representing like a particular TV show or something like that. And I always think, you know, as soon as anyone spends any amount of time with a room full of students, you realise how how complex people's lives are and everything that they're juggling. And guess what? Students are the same, you know, in many ways as everyone else. They have all the problems and challenges that we all navigate. Well, those of us that aren't students, students also are navigating them. And also they're trying to get a qualification alongside it. So um, I think, you know, there are other things that um, we might be able to think of, you know, in a quite straightforward way, which is, you know, this is a time of transition. We know at times of change, that is when our mental health can be can be more and um, more impacted. And um, so you think about it, you're going away from you've grown up with, you know, whatever your environment's been. You've, you've grown up, you know, around certain people, you know, and certain family members and friendships. And then you might have had to for a good chunk of students, you might have had to like move to a new city or town or to a new area. Um, you might be navigating like a lot of things for the first time that you haven't had to do before in terms of getting used to like budgeting, high rent costs, all these different things. Um, and as you said, adapting to making new relationships to new academic pressures. And it is different. It's, it is a, it's a di very different environment in which to learn from school where you it's a lot more self-directed learning where you it's on you to take the steer of you know the the academics around you but you you know you might be learning even how to like use a library for the first time I remember doing that and going I don't actually get what these numbers mean <laughs> so you know it's it sounds like I don't want to make it sound trivial, but it, they sound like little things, but you have to think, what is that like as a whole cocktail of, of issues all at once? Time of change is hard. 
And then, as you say, throw into the mix all those other things. I mean, and it's a very timely point in which to be talking about it because we're coming out now of the main impact of the pandemic, although it's still impacting a lot of people. I don't want to pretend that it isn't. Um, and we know that, you know, students have had to adapt to doing learning both in person and, lo- and online. The um, ONS, Office for National Statistics, has been looking at surveying the whole population over the last few years and found consistently that students were lonelier than non-students and anyone in general in the population. I think people find that hard to believe, but there are, there's something very specific going on there about being in that time of change, your whole network being shook up around you. Um, and also then all the financial pressures. So, you know, a lot of the part-time work that students have traditionally done to, to fund their studies, because you have to bear in mind that the grants that students get don't even necessarily cover all the costs of, of your accommodation, your food costs, all of this. And that's without considering if you've got any course costs that maybe you didn't realise, like going on to placements or, you know, anything else. Um, and then, you know, that's without even looking at it through the lens of intersectionality, of equality, of we all have these different things about our identity that mean we experience the world in different ways. So um, we know that there are additional barriers that, students from racialized backgrounds from minoritized backgrounds from um really lots of different communities and experiences face in in you know you mentioned about if you're go- if you're a student going to university with a, with a long-term disability as well yet universities have got you know disability services there's you know a lot of work that's been done there but it's still you know there's still things all the time that we see and we find out about where the, the system hasn't fully been designed inclusively yet to make sure that whoever you are, whatever you turn up to university with as having been your life experiences, there is full appreciation, understanding and design of the curriculum, setup of the accommodation and all these things to, to support that. So the, that gives you like a flavour of some of it. And I just think during the pandemic, it you know, we, we saw all of that in a heightened way. Um, I am very aware that the sector worked really hard. We saw that firsthand, worked really hard to, you know, to do what they could to make that still the best experience it could be. But also like every type of sector, all of us did have a bit of a crash course in how you respond in a pandemic. And I think, you know, there will have also been things that weren't done as well as they should have been. Um, so, yeah, it's I think being a student today, I want to I do want to say for anyone who is thinking about becoming a student is a student. We work with hundreds of students and we see all the time how much people get from that environment, how much they develop as a person, how it can set them up for their, their life, their career. And the national data does still show if you go to uni it does lead to better outcomes in terms of, you know, your well-being, but also your, you know, future um, uh, financial experiences and things like that. So we know all these things that a degree can do as well out of people's lives. Um, but, and I, I want people to know that there's so many positive experiences to be had when you're a student. There really are. Um, but I just think it's important we normalise there are lots of ups and downs. And in a way, they're probably felt even more acutely at that time of your life because your brain is still developing. 
you know, that's something that people forget is that your brain is still developing up into your, you know, 30s. <laughs> I, I hope I've still got a bit of development in me, you know. So um, you, you are still going through a lot. You're still um, becoming who you are. And yeah, a part, it's part of the fun, but also part of the challenge of that time of life. And I'm really, I really want to see, as you've hinted at, I really want to see in this country that we are thinking much more about all young people you know and I, I although I work with university students this is about students in further education this is about um students in the you know, GCSEs A-levels but all young people students that then leave school and go into apprenticeships or go into other types of work like this is this is the the, the next generation are dealing with some of the most complex things that we've ever seen and they will because we know with with the climate crisis that is going to push us as a society to do things in in ways that we've not done before and collaborate internationally with them before so this generation should be getting real a real back you know being really backed by anyone who can do it you know anyone who has a voice um that they can use it as a platform needs to be speaking up for young people anyone who's in a position to affect policy making decision making needs to be really asking these questions of what are we doing to make sure the next generation and the generation after them you know have have something you know have a, have a, have a world and a society around them in which they can do really well and um, because it can be done but it needs the like single-mindedness of people about it and you know I don't like to set up intergenerational conflict in any way but get me wrong I'm going to see my partner's nan 96 year old nan tomorrow he's one of my favorite people in the world like I love you know all the generations we can all learn from each other I think for too long too much of society has not been willing to sit with that feeling of and really really listening to what young people are saying and really then combining their expertise with what young people are saying to say, yeah, we need to make what you're saying a reality. Yeah, definitely. I love that. That was so beautifully put. And the idea of kind of like giving this, the next couple of generations, just putting them in the best possible position, isn't it? To go on and be able to kind of, you know, make these changes and tackle all the things that, like you say, now we know they're coming up rather than just kind of uh, this, like we can talk in quite specific terms now when it comes to like climate change and stuff, you know, it's not just some idea that, time's going to get hard you know there's that's probably gonna probably gonna get get hard but i'm just gonna rewind a little bit actually because it was something that jumped out at me when we were talking there about the stereotypical student experience this idea that people get from watching movies and things like that and i suppose that can also work the other way for people who are newly starting at university or at college or whatever and when you're kind of told that this is going to be the best days of your life and you're going to meet these friends for life and then you get there, maybe that doesn't happen on day one. You know, maybe you get there and you suddenly think, oh, hang on, I'm in a big city and I don't know my way around and I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And there's six of us in this house and two of them I haven't even met yet. And I've been here for a week. And I think in some ways there can be that pressure, right? I think that must be um, that level of expectation to kind of have this, have this really, really special time, which of course it can be, and it, and it will be, and it, and it can for so many people, but yeah, just, you're almost set up. You're not going to walk through the front door and immediately having some of that experience, isn't it? And I think even that pressure could be, um, 
could really affect people's people's well-being. When you think you're supposed to, when society tells you you're supposed to be having some sort of experience and maybe your initial experience of that doesn't meet the expectation. I think that could be quite tough, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, that is something that we and other organisations have really, you know, tried to make the case for is giving more realistic narratives of what, what life is like when you're a student, um, when you're at university, um, but also making sure that people are, you know, we don't need to just put people into situations without the tools, without, you know, there are things we've learned, we've all learned that we can share. And one of the things that that we developed as a charity, and it, it came out of the pandemic, but is now there for students consistently throughout their, their time at university, is um, a website called Student Space. And that's to provide dedicated support to students um, throughout that that time at uni across England and Wales um and it is guidance on any aspect of university life that you mentioned so you know if it's about studies the relationships balancing study and work financial pressures whatever it is um resources that really that have been developed with professionals and clinicians and with students and includes students own stories as well um, to make sure that students know that they're not alone if they're feeling like any of that's really hard and to then know what additional support's available. So we work with a number of other mental health charities and we've commissioned a number of new services. So that means we've we've basically funded some new services with, um, with our funders. Um, so that if you're a student, for example, let's say you're a student that is trans and you're looking for a bit of advice about navigating life at uni, there's a dedicated phone line that you can call. Um, there is, if you're um, a black student, we've we've worked with a, a charity that runs um, peer support groups for black students about, you know, again, navigating some of the things that can come up whilst we still live in a society that has got a long way to go in, in, in terms of being equal and achieving racial justice. Um, so yeah, like making sure that students know there is support available. And you know, I'm so pleased that thousands of, of students have already benefited from using that side, but we still have a long way to go before every student knows about it. So I do appreciate the chance to say, visit studentspace.org.uk and have a look and use some of those materials and also tell us what's missing you know if you if you think well this is all well and good but I was looking for this specific thing then tell us and you know we we would um, really appreciate that so um yeah it is there are lots there are lots of students who get that feeling and I and also I do think that a lot of things are shifting as well you know less students now drink than ever before you know all the all the national data shows us things that might have been a bit of a worry um, let's say you are, um, you know that that's not going to be um, something that's positive for you, or it, it would interact with some medication, or having, you know, knowing that actually, then you know, it, it shifted. Then now the majority is becoming people who do not, you know, drink, and um, some of those things people might be nervous about. It's knowing that there will be people you can find who you can relate to and connect with. And, this, and you mentioned student changes at the start. That's, that's always a good place to go. You know, like I felt like I joined something that felt comfortable to me. You know, like I joined the theatre society so I could meet other 
you know, other overly emotional, dramatic people like myself. Um, so, you know, whatever, you know, whatever interest you have, like going to student Cheney and Freshers Fair or asking a member of staff and saying, look, I, you know, this isn't for me. Like, I, I want to find people who are, you know, maybe want to spend this time a little bit differently and so on. Like, there, there will be people to connect with and, and it's known it doesn't necessarily happen in those first few weeks. You know, we're at the point right now as we're chatting their students are setting off, arriving, um, and knowing that it can take a bit of time. It can take a few months. It can even take, you know, and maybe a year. It might be in your second year when you really meet the person who becomes your best mate, who's then with you at your wedding 10 years later and so on. So it, it can be all different types of experiences. Yeah, sure. I suppose that's the wonderful thing. And it's something that comes really comes across from the Student Minds website is um, like looking at uh, peer support, you know, and that, that's something that you guys are, are big on by the look of thing, by the look of the website. And I think having those, having, yeah, having people to just ask those questions, right, and to ask about their experience is, um, is really, really important. I could really see why in the student environment, like peer support in all different you know, whatever area it is within the student experience, I could really see particularly why that would, um, why that would be really important. Yeah, definitely. Cause it's, it's whoever you feel comfortable first talking to, isn't it? Um, you know, I will always advocate for people getting good professional support, right? We know that when people get to, um, and, and people need different things at different points as well. And that's, that's something that's always really important to tell people about is, you know, universities, for example, they might run counselling services, but also have mental health um, advisors and disability advisors, mental health mentors. There's, there can be a range of different things that people will need depending on what they're experiencing. So there's not a one deal. You know, it's not necessary that everyone needs, you know, six sessions of this particular thing. Um, so I will always encourage people to, you know, reach out to their university, but also to reach out to their local GP. Um, making sure you register with a GP when you go to uni. I mean, I'm I'm terrible for filling out forms and stuff. So I get it why people don't do it, but you you never know when you might need a health appointment. So you need to be registered with a GP. They can always talk with you a few options. If you if you go and you and you are experiencing enduring symptoms, uh, you know, feeling low very consistently and so on, they can then refer you to what is available in local talking therapies, specialist services if you're having difficulties around um say an eating difficulty for example they can look at what options there are for you in your area so that, that so that condition isn't worsen for you what in in your studies and so on so um professional support is absolutely critical here and needs to be really invested in needs to you know great you know we've got evidence of what treatments make a difference but at the same time a lot, a lot of the first conversations people will have will be with their friends and that, as you said that is why we do work like um, running workshops for students in sports teams, you know, about how to look out for, you know, someone that you're playing like rugby or lacrosse with every week, you know, um, if they start a conversation with you, you're not there, you're not there to diagnose them, you're not there to try and give them advice, but how can you be there for that person, listen to them, hear what they're saying, make them feel heard and talk them through what, what you're aware of might be support within your own town, city and university. Um, so yeah, I really agree with you that that peer support can be 
can be really key. Um, but also knowing that if you are looking out for a friend as well, sometimes that can be hard. And sometimes you need a bit of support for that too, is if, you know, if you're worried about somebody else. So, yeah, it's creating compassionate environments really, isn't it? Where all of us feel a little bit more equipped to have a conversation when it comes up and then know when is this actually something where some further professional support would make the difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, finding that that back. Because I think, you know, we can use everything available to us, right? So we can we can use the GP, we can use the support groups, we can use everything. It doesn't just have to be one route. And it's wonderful that, you know, that there are there are more options. So it sounds like one of the most challenging things from the student minds point of view is like just making sure people know that that you're there, right? And that these resources mm. are available. Um how how do you guys go about um doing that? Do you go directly through the universities or is it um how's the process? How do you kind of yeah let people know that you're there if if they need you? Yeah, oh that's a great question. I mean, I think probably like like all organizations, you know, we, we've got a mi- mixed approach. So you can find us on like on social media, so still on the student minds on I think we're on everything now. Um so you, you can find us there. Um, but you're right really what's key is the relationships um we couldn't do what we do without relationships with so many different organizations so that can be um you know that can be some of the organizations who work with different types of universities and students unions it can be um you know some of the organizations that we might be more familiar to to students might be things like UCAS and the student room some of those organizations who you know, have direct communications with, you know, the, the over a couple of million students that there might be in 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 university. So, um, there is there's a lot of that going through partnerships, but the relationships with universities and students and accommodation providers are, are absolutely critical. You know, they play a really important role in getting out really. Appropriate health messages at tiny points of the year, telling people about what's available. Um, but we have an interest. You know, our, it's like any relationship. It has. It's not. You know, one thing. You know, we the relationship. I suppose that we might have with the university can involve a number of layers. It could be that we're working with them on delivering workshops for students through our trainer programs. Um, but it also might be that we're involved in assessing how well they're doing on achieving a university-wide approach to mental health. Because something we developed a few years ago was a quality award scheme for mental health and well-being in universities called the University Mental Health Charter. And that really looks at everything they do from the services to staff well-being, the accommodation, um, to the curriculum. And it's an evidence space framework which was developed with students and staff using all the research availabilities which says this you know this is what needs to be in place to be confident that you are being strategic and joined up about mental health and well-being so we you know we are also I suppose some challenging I think I see our role is to challenge and support like we are challenging for things to improve based on evidence based on insight but also there is that support process of going do you know what this if this stuff was easy it would have been done by now it's not it's not easy and anyone who tries to tell you you can fix you know 
what's good, you know, uni- everybody's mental health in the university, all the students, all the stuff. Anyone says you can fix it by doing this one thing is lying. <laughs> it is, it is full of many parts. It's about having a real strategy, a real plan that is, you know, really understanding all the things that are influencing on on people's mental health and well-being in that environment. And some of those things can be influenced within that environment, but some things are bigger, some things are society-wide. And that's when I get excited because I think that's when we need to pull together team. That's when all of us university students, we need to be saying, you know, really clearly, and I'm really glad to see that's happened in the last few weeks around cost of living, that so many organisations have been saying, look, this is not going to be possible for students to pay the energy bills that are, that would have been coming their way. So sometimes we have to also be courageous, I think, as a sector to lift up our voices, share what's actually going on, and then also be constructive, working with governments and government and so on to be like, okay, yeah, there's there's parts to it. It's not just you, it's us too. Like, what can we do together? Um, so I'm not sure I answered your question there, but... Um, yeah, you can I mean, definitely put fire in my belly for this afternoon. So. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's really inspiring. And I just, um, yeah, I think I love this idea of kind of, yeah, again, it just keeps coming back to this, like collaborating and listening and this big melting pot of ideas and things like mm. that. And I think with any sort of aspect of the mental health conversation, it's so easy to get, to get like bogged down in some of the negative aspects, whether that's like waiting times or, you know, or, you know, waiting lists or the numbers or the statistics. And of course we have to be wary of that stuff, but at the same time, well, just sitting around and just talking about it isn't going to change anything, you know, and it's like looking at, right. Oh, well, you know, what can we change? What can we, what can we do? How can we come at this from a difficult angle? Is there anything we can do as a side note to that? Cause that's going to be more of a long-term change. And it's just that, yeah, it's just really, um, it's really, really, yeah. Like I say, really inspiring just to kind of like, um, yeah, know that, that people are out there with that outlook and, and working so hard to kind of really, um, you know, make a difference and, and really kind of do something about this stuff. Cause it's easy to get dragged down in the, in the negative statistics, isn't it? It's really easy to kind of almost, uh, you know, almost feel like giving up sometimes, I suppose, for some people when they just focus on, on that, but you know, there's, there's things to be done, right. There's, there's change can happen. It's possible. Yeah. I think, I think you get to a really important point, which is beyond just even in this sector and on mental health is about as a whole, about agents is about we need to be constantly reminding people or 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 sharing learning right because we don't all learn this you know it kind the messages we also grow up with and some around us like affect how we how much we think we can influence change And, and sometimes it's a real privilege to have been surrounded by people who tell you you can do this change is possible so so um, I think you're right. It is about agency. It is about helping people always to, you know, connect with each other, think about what, what, okay, this is there, maybe there's an injustice here and it's not right. What could be done about it? Um, and that, and sometimes it will need different things. You know, sometimes it, it, it's very, it might be very simply someone knowing there's something's happened to me here and I, I want to write a letter to the right person who for them to know about it. And I want to hear what they've got to say about it. You know, activism and agencies, it takes many forms and it, it's, you know, 
we don't all have to be doing the the you know the organizing we don't have to all be the people pulling everybody together but we can all find the ways that we can use our voice and keep building on that I think yeah definitely sorry a a term I picked up along the this podcasting journey of mine is um uh, like everyone has a, a sphere of influence right and some people that might be a small sphere and some people might be a big sphere and you can use that sphere in, in different ways but if everyone you know tries to do what they can within their own sphere of influence then you know eventually you kind of get this knock on, knock on overlap effect on the on the bigger picture but sometimes it's just as easy as concentrating on you know i'm not going to try and change the world but i'm going to look around in my local community or at the people close to me and i'm going to start there and let's see if i can have some small impact there and um it, although it might maybe seem like you're only making a small impact to the people you're impacting it's probably not small at all eh? Absolutely. Like, and it actually, yeah, it can be huge. Um, I had a really, I was very, very fortunate that someone I know in my local pub recently asked me to join up with them on a petition they were doing about the local bus service. And I had a, such a positive morning talking to people on the streets near where I live about this. And, you know, that is, that is making a difference as, uh, you know, as much as, you know, might be giving, going and giving a speech in a really, you know, grand situation, like whatever it is, absolutely. That that's, yeah. You made me want to go and do something now. Oh, I, right. I'll have to go and start a campaign somewhere on the campus that I'm on right now. <laughs> <laughs> same right back at you. I'm going to do the same. And that probably feels like a really lovely place to leave it, mate. But thank you so much for your time today. I've enjoyed it so much. And I was—I always make a, a bunch of notes before, you know, I pride myself in being really prepared for these conversations. And I was kind of thinking it's, it's such a big topic. And I think we could have took so many aspects of the work that you do and of mental health around students and we could have just took one tiny thing and done a whole episode over it so to kind of be able to like navigate navigate that and like touch on a few really relevant things and um, I feel like I've learned a lot and it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for your time today mate oh likewise thank you so much Tom take care bye, <laughs> bye Big up to that proper mental podcast. Proper mental podcast.